0: This morning we're in a fourth Sunday of a series that we've been looking at the discipleship kind of taking a step back. And looking at the macro look, we've been looking at the micro look, we've been going verse by verse by verse through Matthew. And taking a look at the macro look at kind of some lessons learned from the disciples of Jesus Christ and his interaction with them. This morning we're going to, to face a truth that's kind of a tough one to face about Jesus' interactions with his disciples. The first Sunday we looked at the call, Jesus calling his disciples and what's entailed and the call of the disciples of Jesus Christ. The next Sunday we looked at the disciples lived life together. They rubbed shoulders together through good times and bad times. They traveled, they followed Jesus throughout the region, listening and learning and following after him, sometimes serving as the spiritual sandpaper to one another, helping each other see God's glory in their lives as they work out life together. The next Sunday, we looked at this idea of understanding that Jesus has sent out his disciples early on in the ministry to teach them a dependence on him, to train them up and to excite them for the work in the ministry. This morning's sermon is entitled Getting Back Up. In Matthew 16 21 23. We read, and from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Father God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we dive in to your word and we look at the disciples' interactions our Savior Jesus Christ. May we learn some very valuable lessons along the way. Father, may we be brutally honest with ourselves this morning. And may your Holy Spirit powerfully work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we're going to be taking a look at the most common interaction between Jesus and his disciples. kind of challenged you as we started going through this series to take a moment, read through the Gospel of Matthew, to look at the interactions between Jesus and his disciples. If you do this and you begin to discover that the most common interaction Jesus
1: had with his disciples Dealt with their either their inability to have faith that they were supposed to have. They
0: dealt with under, misunderstandings. They dealt with rebuke. Most common interactions. As I went through these interactions this week, I kind of paraphrased some of the interactions that Jesus had with his disciples and kind of what was going through the disciples' head. You may smirk at these and even laugh at these, because and it may make you feel uncomfortable as you do so. But the reality and the truth of this is kind of where the disciples were coming from as they grew in their understanding of Christ imperfectly. In Matthew eight eighteen to twenty two, dealing with a gentleman who needed to go bury his father and mother, I would really love to hang out, Jesus, but the dead are calling. In Matthew 8, 23 to 27, when there's a storm upon the seas and Jesus is asleep, wake up, creator of the universe! I'm afraid of a storm. In Matthew 14, 13 to 21, Jesus feeding the 5,000, primarily Jewish audience, the disciples imploring Jesus to send them away. I am not paying for their meal. In Matthew fourteen twenty-two to twenty-three, when Peter walks on the water with Christ, Jesus sent us out here to die. And then Peter, look, I'm walking on water, nothing can stop me now. Except for his lack of faith. In Matthew fifteen, twelve, yes, Jesus, I know you are God, but the Pharisees said. They go on and on. Disciples struggling to understand who Jesus Christ is. And here in Matthew 16 verses 21 to 23 Yeah, Jesus Peter is saying, yeah, Jesus I hear you but your plan stinks. I think we needed to have an honest perspective and an honest look that the disciples struggled in their faith to understand who Jesus Christ was, failed to struggled to understand what he had come to do. They saw things from their human perspective. They saw and they struggled. They were honest in their expressions and their statements. And in so doing, Christ lovingly led them, taught them, encouraged them, and restored them. You see, brothers and sisters, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are faced with the reality that we all fall down. All of us. All of us still struggle with sin. In 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We struggle to live in the life that Christ has called us to live. Pride, arrogance, envy. I'm reading this book. Isn't it really cool how God just places books in our lives at just the right times to read that kind of hits home to us. And I'm reading this book. I've mentioned it before. I just finished it this week. A book called Awe by Paul David Tripp. And he goes through in the book and he's dealing with us and he says, maybe some of you are thinking right now that you don't have an awe problem or maybe you're sitting here thinking that you know what? You really are not that bad off. He goes, let me help you out by, by walking you through some things. And maybe as I read this list this morning, you begin to relate and begin to run. Uh, Realized that we are more like the disciples than we think. We curse what gets whatever gets in our way. We hate having to wait. We get upset when we have to go without. We strike back when we think we have been wronged. We do all we can to satisfy our cravings. We think too much about our own pleasure. And we envy those who have what we think we deserve. We pout when we think we've been overlooked. We hate suffering of any kind. We manipulate others for our own good. We attempt to work ourselves into positions of power and control. We are obsessed about what is best for us. How many times do we hear that in our society? But what's best for you? We demand more than we deserve. Then we we demand more than we serve and we take more than we give. We long to be first and hate being last. We are all too concerned with being right, being noticed, and being affirmed. We find it easier to judge those who have offended us than to forgive them. And we require life to be predictable satisfying, and easy. We are do all of these things because we are full of ourselves and in awe more of ourselves than of God. The disciples struggled. We've talked about this before in Peter's statement here in Matthew 16. He loved Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus And Jesus telling him that he was going to die and go away would stop within Peter's plan. How many times as we look to pursue God and to be obedient to him and the life that we've been called to live, do we begin to make statements like the ones that were just said and prevent us from following God and pursuing him? Well, Maybe sometimes as we look at this idea of falling down, isn't it just to be human to fall down? Isn't it just isn't air to be human? You've heard that statement, right? And so we kind of try to brush off our sin. And we try to make it so that our sin really isn't that bad. You know, last you know, I mentioned last week of talking with the gentleman who who, who made this statement to me that this young man that we were talking about. His, he was really close to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ because he really wasn't that bad of a kid. And I made this statement to him. I said, there are only two kinds of people in the world that I know of. The saved and the unsaved. You see, we're all bad. Romans, you know, all have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There is none righteous. No, not One. We are all in need of God's incredible sin and grace, but sometimes in order to dismiss our sin or in order to let's be honest, in order for us to not have to deal with it. To brush it off is not that bad. I, I'm not as bad as that guy who salted the trees. I'm not as bad as as that criminal who was just arrested. I'm not as bad as my neighbor who, who's manipulating the system right now and not paying their taxes or doing this or doing that. My, you know, my sin just really isn't that bad. I've struggled with that. And this week, I found myself staring at my computer screen, weeping as I read the following words from Ezekiel 36. God is speaking to the Israelite nation. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you. Brothers and sisters, if you're a child of God here this morning, we are children of the new covenant. And God has made a vow to us and we're part of his covenant plan. Don't miss that. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. We are bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin is forgiven. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth from among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. What a beautiful picture of the Israelite people. What a beautiful picture of us. For those who are children of God, God has anointed us. God has washed us. God has adorned us. He's made us this beautiful and wonderful thing in His image and in His sight. He has called us to be His children. And I don't care what kind of your economic status this morning, what kind of job you have, when God looks upon you because of our Savior Jesus Christ, this is how He sees you. Isn't it beautiful? But how have we responded? But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore the like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of were of were not satisfied. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you, you gave your, heart, your gifts to all lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you, you, to play the whore. And you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. Do you think our sin is personal to the Almighty God? Do you think our stuff doesn't stink? Your envy, your pride, your passions for things that draw your heart away from God. Do you sit in your temple in your homes and you look down and judge others opening up the newspaper and saying, thank God I'm not as bad as that person or turning on the news and saying, thank God I'm not as bad as him. Boy, I'm a pretty good person. Or do we rightly understand that we are a people who struggle with sin and we need the grace of God every single day in our lives. Some of you may have found the words of that passage offensive and a little graphic. So is our sin. It's offensive and and it's graphic. What was the very first song we sung this morning? Couldn't have asked for a better opening song. Holy, holy Holy. Our God is perfectly holy and just and righteous and He has adorned us in this manner by the blood of Jesus Christ for us to fall down and treat this beautiful, wonderful gift that we have been given through Jesus Christ with disdain. Notice in this passage of Scripture the prostitute the sinner doesn't wait for the sin, the one to come into proposition then They go out and pursue. And when we sin against God, that is what we're doing. We are going out and pursuing disobedience and pursuing the fact that we'd rather disobey God than to pursue our righteous, just king. You see, This is what sin does to us. It replaces submission with self-rule. It replaces gratitude with demands for more. It replaces faith with self-reliance. It replaces vertical joy with horizontal envy. It replaces a rest in God's sovereignty with a quest for personal control. We live for our glory. We set up our rules. We ask others to serve our agenda. We hate having to wait. We get upset when we have to go without. We strike back when we think we've been wronged. We do all that we can to satisfy our cravings. We do all these things because we are full of ourselves and awe more of ourselves than of God. Our sin is ugly, our sin is gross. Yet sometimes, when we are confronted with our sin, Instead of confessing and repenting our sin, when we're faced with the grossness of our sin, when we're faced with these things, instead of turning to Jesus and falling to our knees, we begin to do something that makes us even fall even further down. To to fall into this great pit that is even harder to get out of. We we start justifying our sin. Well, Well, I'm this way because of my history, because of my past. If you would just know my past, you would realize I'm not that bad off compared to what I once was. We fall further down by instead of leaning into Christ and His grace and His redemption and His restoration, His renewal by calling sin, sin and calling it evil and gross, we we set up a set of rules for ourselves that say, you know what? I'm just going to take care of this myself. I'm just going to take care of me and, and, and help myself out of this pit. And instead of getting up, we fall further down in Galatians 3.10. It says for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse for it's written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Brothers and sisters when we've we start writing rules for ourselves and start pursuing other things than Jesus Christ and we're writing ourselves a new law that we look to save us, but all it does is just make us fall further down and be further away from our God. There's only one solution to our sin and that is grace and redemption through Jesus Christ. There's only one. But we are prone to put barriers uh, Many times... After we fall down, we determine in our hearts that we will never let this happen, and we begin to let write to write a law to ensure it. And the results, they're not so helpful. What set of rules can decimate our bondage to ourselves or our tendency to put the creation where only the creator should be? You see, the eyes of our heart were never meant to be satisfied by the splendor of this world. The eyes of our heart were only meant to be satisfied by the splendor and the glory of our God. What set of laws can return our wonder and amazement with worship and awe? The law can reveal how much you have put yourselves in the center of the story, but it has no power to put God back in His rightful place in your heart. No human solution can fix or replace instincts and our replacement lifestyle. No set of rules will free us. No social or political insights. Listen to this. As we move into a year in which we will elect president, no social or political insights will liberate us. Don't miss that. We have met the enemy, and it is us. And because it is, we have no power to defeat it. We will forget God. We will replace Him with something else. We will place our lives at the center. But this is why Jesus has come. Now think about all that we just wrestled with. And knowing this, knowing that we would be disciples that in our attempt to pursue God would fall down, Christ still went to the cross. That's mind-blowing to me. That is still just as I think about that, knowing that who we would be and how we would struggle, Christ still said, I will go to the cross for them. I will die for them. I will take on the sin and I will wipe it away. How amazing is that? That our Savior loves us so much. Much, We are without excuse to continue in our sin. I'm about ready to show you a video. You'll not hear me mention this person's name during this sermon because this video will be deleted and will not be posted on the website by the request of the individual who sat down with me and shared it. One of the signs of those that follow Jesus is they get back up. It's easy to stand in condemnation and judgment of others. I had a professor in seminary, when speaking of the D.C. sniper, said that if it wasn't for the grace of God, any one of you could be on that tower. And it took me a long time to understand and realize what he meant by that is I was faced with some dark times in my life where I was faced with my own depravity. Decisions I had to make. Making the wrong ones and then needing the restoration of God. The beautiful thing is that God does restore us. God provides the provision for us to get back up. We're without excuse. We, we, we struggle with sin. We struggle with, with these things that are in our lives that invade the awe of God and, and give us what might some considered awe amnesia where we forget about how amazing and wonderful our God is. And our eyes get diverted and focused on other things. Yet God provides the provision. He, 1 John 1.9, most of us know this well. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. God provides this beautiful, wonderful way for us to be restored, to get back up, to stop messing around with sin, to stop flirting with the things that take our mind and heart away from God and pull us in many different directions. Finances, jobs, you know, just looking across the neighbor, you know, the neighbor pulls into the driveway with a new car going, wouldn't that be nice to have? And, you know, our hearts turning to that going, what do I need to do to get that? And him following along the line of Eve as she began to notice the fruit was good to eat. She began to desire the fruit and she took and she ate. So many times in our own lives we have that same process. If I would only have this in my life, I would truly be happy. <clears throat> I lack peace and joy because I don't have that. If this relationship were just going better, I would have joy and I would have peace. And God provides that joy and peace to us as we take our eyes off these things and put them firmly back on God. And He restores us and He picks us back up. God provides this incredible story for us to be part of His renewal and redemptive plan. You see, that's the beautiful story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. Begins with the creation as God made the world perfect and beautiful. Man messed it up falling into sin and disobeying, actively disobeying God and choosing God over choosing the creation over the Lord and choosing herself and pride over God in the awe of him. And God set in motion the renewal of this world. And you see, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are told in the scriptures that we we aren't just saved, but that we're being saved. God is making us new. He challenges us with those images and those glimpses in the mirror as we stare in the mirror spiritually. And we look back and we see the person that's before us. And we say, dear God, I'm so sorry. I'm faced with my sin once again. Will you please forgive me? I was just telling Christy last night, I've asked the elders and the deacons for prayer this week for this message and for for ears to hear that we would be really honest with ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I see a person who really needs the grace of the Lord. I see a person who struggles with pride, a person who struggles with the value of other people's opinions. person who wants to easily give up and run. person who lacks patience. And I need the grace of God as I try to live for Him. And I fall and He so lovingly and compassionately picks me back up. But one of the beautiful things that we often forget, or maybe we don't forget, we just would like to avoid, is the biggest tool in the tool bag of God's restorative work is the family of God. See, God uses the fallen to help up the fallen. Isn't that cool? That's God's kingdom economics. He uses the broken to help up the broken. We're all in this together. No one in this room is more righteous or holy than the other one, because that righteousness is Jesus Christ. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we gain because of what we do. But it's Jesus Christ's righteousness. So we don't get to look down at our brother and say, oh, look at I'm so much better than you are. We don't want to turn to the gentleman in the video and say, oh, I'm not going to give you the time of the day because I'm so much better than you are. Brothers and sisters, that was a great example of idolatry. Great example. Did you catch the terminology problem solver. And when I failed to solve a problem, what did I do? How many times in our lives have when we've been faced with a problem, and we were going after this to solution to this problem, that we had this opportunity to turn and do something like that, and by the grace of God, we didn't. Or, you did it, and nobody just knows about it. God knows. And there will not be healing redemption in your life and restoration until that is confessed Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 passage you use a lot for marriage ceremonies but it's very applicable when you look at us two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil for if they fall one will lift up his fellow but woe woes are scary things in the scripture Okay, woes are scary things but woe to the one, to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Brothers and sisters, it's it's, it's beneficial for us. In James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another. What? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. There's a text of Scripture we like to skip over quite often and as soon as we can. Confess your sins to one another. That's a scary thing. But as disciples of the Lord, as church families draw together, as we as a church family, we work through things and we confess things and we we offer up that we have struggles and we allow other people into our lives to help us walk through those times and pray for us. A mighty work is accomplished and done by the power of God. In Matthew 11:28 Come to me all who are labor all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get back up. If you're struggling with something this morning, and I would contend that all of us have an area of sin in our life that we are prone to weakness in and we need help getting back up this morning. It is it's time to confess it. It's time to draw on some external help and say, "You know what? find up brothers and sisters, men with men, women with women, encouraging each other and saying, you know what, I struggle in this area and I want help. I want to know the power of God working in my life. I want to see the family of God and I want to work through things together. I mean, I'm, as the disciples were walking with Jesus day in and day out, their lack of faith, their sin was put on nice grand display in front of their peers. But we go to separate homes. We come together on a Sunday morning, and we go to separate homes after Sunday morning service. And we we hide our stuff, and nobody really knows us. And nobody really, you know. And we just when God calls us to go together. So my questions to you this morning: Where are you falling down? Where are you falling? Where do you see in your life? I've got this temptation. There's a struggle out there that I'm struggling with. And if left unchecked, I will fall down. I will enter into sin. Where are you struggling this morning? What are areas of life that you're struggling in? And who knows about it? Or are you setting your own set of rules to check yourself instead of leaning into Christ, leaning into the family? Where are you down this morning? Where have you entered into active sin? Envy, strife, anger. Those emotions that we feel, that we often justify, are just as much as sin, lying, sin of lying, stealing. And where are you getting back up? Where are you attempting to get back up? Where are you working on recovery in your life or restoration and renewal? Brothers and sisters, who's helping you? The greatest gift that we can give to each other is helping each other up, encouraging each other, not letting each other remain down. You see, disciples of Jesus Christ get back up. Oh, we don't stay down. We're quick to confess. We're quick to repent. We lean into one another, and we look to restore one another. We stop hiding our sin. We stop justifying these things. And we work towards a brilliant, bright future and an abundant life in Jesus Christ takes us back to the imagery of Ezekiel 36 that we're adorned, we're beautiful we're supposed to be this gorgeous bride of Christ but we've soiled ourselves with sin God provides a work of restoration for us because of Jesus Christ and he calls us to be a family helping each other back up Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the challenge to all of us this morning. None of us in this room, including myself, are above anybody else in this. We're all struggling to live righteous and holy lives. Father God, we need you more than ever. Convict our hearts this morning. Lord, if there needs to be repentance in this family, I pray, pray it will take place this morning. Forgiveness, restoration, renewal, as this family desires to draw together and be on fire for you, serving you in this community. May we forgive one another. Get to look at each other through the eyes you have in us. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. verses 8-10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Have an amazing week. If you need some time to pray with someone this morning, Got our elders that'll be kind of hanging around in the sanctuary, deacons, deaconesses, um, and I'll be around as well for a little while. So we'd love to pray. Thank you so much for coming.